John chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Ye worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab that and to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to use John chapter 4 and verse 24 as a springboard. Before we get too far into our lesson this evening, as we reflect on what we spoke about this morning, we looked at the technical side of what happens during a worship service, those five acts of worship. And really, for the preacher, that's the easiest sermon to preach in this perspective because this is what it says, this is what we do. We looked at the idea of God being a spirit, that worshiping Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we've seen those actions, but tonight we want to look at the attitude behind those actions. You and I look at this particular study and we ask the question, okay, we know what to do, but how are we supposed to do that? Well, you and I unfortunately live in this world. Our world is a distraction. Everything about us is a distraction. You know, for a few weeks, the caution tape that had been put out to keep people away was a distraction. Uh, sometimes if a, if a baby cries, I didn't hear it, but my girls would say, did you hear that baby cry? And I'll say, no. But I'm up here focused on something pretty heavy. And so we hear babies cry. Sometimes we see people get up and, and walk. Sometimes they need to go use the restroom. Sometimes they come back. Everything we do is a distraction. You know we have laws? We have laws on the book to keep people from driving distracted. If keep people from operating a one-ton vehicle that is used as a killing instrument, but don't use your cell phone at the same time. Well, duh. Who needs that law? Let me tell you who needs that law. We need that law. And the reason behind that is because there have been people who have been distracted. They've lost their lives because of that. Our world is one gigantic distraction, and Satan uses that tool against the church every opportunity that he gets. Here's the distractions. That if you were in this position, you would see not, I'm not going to say every week, you will see it every time we meet. Every time, without exception. Every time. 
someone will sleep. If that is a distraction to you, preacher, or you who are thinking about preaching, let me say this to you. Don't preach. <laughs> it will happen every time. Our older generation take a lot of medications. They get, they get steel and quiet. But we're not going to blame that just on the older generation. Because if we did, that would be unfair. There are plenty as you look out, and my eyes are not the greatest of everyone's, but there are plenty as you look out, you see them thinking about what could be for lunch, or maybe what was going to be after this, or what we're going to do tomorrow, or what about this, or look, I may be flying a rocket ship in the middle. And they're distracted. And there are those like the gentleman underneath who would simply sit there with their arms folded. Never even crossing their mind to open a Bible or, or study it as we go along that. Uh, most of the time we look at that and we think, well, it's sort of lunch o'clock. I've made it here this amount of time, so God has required them to give me a home in heaven. Here's one of my favorites. Michael, see if you can see this. Can you see that reflection in my glasses? Side note for you, I can see it too. I also can see when you change pages as if you have that many Bible apps. You want me to believe that? Come on. And by the way, the law of physics does not stop in this room. They can see when you talk and whisper and pass notes and all that kind of thing. And that's a distraction for a lot of people on this side. Let's be real about this. You look at, at John chapter 4 and verse number 24 and answer this question. Do I want to stand before God justified or condemned? Which one? Justified. That's the, that is the right answer and that is the great answer. If that's the case, then we've got to learn how to put away distractions and focus for 30, 40, 60 minutes on God Himself, who, by the way, focuses on you for 168 hours every single week. Have you ever woken up and thought, I don't have enough air. I can't breathe today. No, why? Because those things are provided. Why? Because he thinks about us. He's not distracted by this world. And Satan's greatest tool is to make us think about anything else other than God. I told you about my friend who grew up here in the great state of Arkansas. Who passed from this life last year into eternity at the ripe old age of 33. I told you he uh, went out to LA to make it big. And he was a writer for uh, 
Rolling Stone magazine. You remember I told you he, he wrote an article as he interviewed the head of the Satan's church on Halloween in their place of worship. And you remember that guy said this, if you want to serve Satan, then do whatever it is you would like to do. And while I don't agree with him religiously on pretty much any other thing, that is a true statement. Satan is trying to divert our attention any kind of way to keep our eyes off the cross and our goal out of heaven. That's what he's trying to do. And we cannot walk through life dumbfounded at the fact that he does that. We have to know that. He is the enemy. He is the one trying to pull us down and pull us away. The greatest danger in this whole uh, slide we see here is not the guy sleeping, it's not the guy with his arms crossed, it's not the guy daydreaming, it's not the cell phone, it's not the people who are whispering. It's when we begin to overlook those and not correct those things and focus where we should be. That's the greatest danger. When it becomes sort of second nature to us, it's just okay. My Lord did not die on that cross just so it would be okay. He did not give his life the entirety of his life to redeem us back to God to have us be drawn away and our focus taken away from what is true and what we should be doing here. Those five acts of worship are easy. Those preaching on those actions are easy. Preaching on distractions is tough in a lot of Because everyone thinks this guy is pointing at people. When in fact, I probably struggle with focus the most. The something that you and I have to get well within our grasp so that we can continue to follow what God says to do. The tools that he uses are apathy. Anybody know what apathy is? I just don't care. It's, it's okay. And, and ignorance goes right along with that. You know, I don't know and I don't care. It's all right. You know, the two biggest problems with the church is right? I don't know and I don't care. Ignorance and apathy. Because we don't get in the book, we don't understand where we are when focus is taken away from those important things. Distraction. Sometimes it's building in ground. Sometimes do they have the right youth program? Do they have the right older people program? Do they, do they meet enough? Do they meet this place? Do they put it on the screens? Do they... I did not know the amount of people we were missing to preach to before the Bible's people. I was not aware of that. There is a group of people out there who need to hear the gospel. Sometimes you can get so distracted with them 
to do that job. Or you get so distracted with y'all and forget about them. Or you get so focused on y'all and them that you forget about those other three. Sometimes that's where it falls. And my wife and preacher's wives become pulpit widows. All of those tools pull us away from what is really important. And why those things are really important. These tools are effective. Satan doesn't use the tool to think might work. His tools are effective and they work and they have pulled so many away and have condemned so many. You can see this distraction. The last time Demas is mentioned in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 6 verse number 10 For Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and is gone off into the best of the night. For what? That matter for what? He's distracted. He's deciding to follow something else. When you and I become distracted, we find ourselves in a very bad, bad place. All right, preacher. I'm tired of piling on the now. Okay. Let's see if we can prove this idea. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, it's going to be written somewhere around 740 B.C. And this is what's going to be written. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Stop. This temple that Isaiah sees, he is in a vision, in a trance right here, as he can see this. It's given to him by God. And he's, he's comparing this to the temple that he knows. Temple that he knows built by Solomon. It's about 75 feet wide, 150 feet long. It's about 65-ish feet tall. All right, this, you're looking at a, a tall building. Here you have the Lord sitting on this throne in a temple-like room that he used to, and the clothing that he was wearing, taking up all of the empty space in this temple. Not just around on the floor, filling it up 65 feet or so. This is what he's looking at. He's seen the majesty of, of this Lord who is sitting here and he's sitting it to a point where everything that is about this person sitting on this throne envelops this whole temple. So much so that you couldn't squeeze anything else in there. He looks in there and that's what he sees. And above this temple, above this throne, stood the seraphim. Each of them had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and two he did fly. As Isaiah was right here in chapter 6, verse number 2, these angels are looking as if they are standing. So I'm assuming with these two wings in which he's 
flying, they're hovering. And they are hovering above the throne on which the Lord is sitting. And they have six wings, so with two of those, they cover their face. The symbolic way of him to say, I'm not even worthy to look upon this chair. With two of them, they covered their feet, as if to say, I'm not even worthy to share the ground with the person on this chair. And with two, they, they hovered. And one, Seraphim, would cry to another and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as this is written within the Hebrew language, it would, it would bear us uh, more knowledge to understand that one would scream it to another and the other would seemingly receive that message and turn and scream it to the next one until they got all the way down that chain and that chain would come back and that's all they would do throughout the whole time he was there to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And then the next one would go. And then the next one would go. And then the next one would go. Can you imagine this place? Can you see this place? He goes on to say, and the doors of the post, or the post of doors moved, stop here at his voice. At his voice. The one on the chair spoke and he was he was so uh, not impassioned but so authoritative within this within this temple that as he spoke the post of the door moved and I don't think that's a crack on the construction of the temple I think it is the idea of the power of his voice the whole house was filled with smoke they're doing in order to uh, show Isaiah how wonderful God is. He's standing beside an altar. You know what happens in an altar? Old Testament altar, anybody know what happens? Burn stuff. How many of you ever started a fire? You ever have smoke in that fire? That's why the temple is full of smoke. He's beside the altar. And as it goes on, he begins to say this. Then Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am incomplete. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He has seen the King. He said, I don't even have a right to be standing here. I don't have a right to speak because the things that I say are unclean and I, I'm from a people who are unclean. I'm not worthy to stand here. He has not adopted the attitude of the seraphim. He now is understanding the attitude of those angels. He's beginning to understand to see why they are covering their feet and covering their face. He said, man, I don't belong here. He goes on in verse number 6 to say, One, those seraphim flew unto me, having a live or a burning coal in his hand, 
which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, he laid upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is burned. You want to know how I know it's a vision? It touched anything hot? Anybody have to tell you? He said, I've taken this hot live coal and I put it in your mouth and now you've been purged. Now you've been clean. In verse 8, I also heard the voice of the Lord say, who are we going to see? Do you hear the question that's being asked from that chair, from that throne room? Who are we going to send to do the work? And Isaiah's response was, Here am I. Send me. He says, Preacher, what in the world does that have to do with our worship? Today. Glad you asked that question. Here it is. Until you and I see the throne, the way Isaiah saw that throne, it's just going to be another thing in life. Another thing that we have to do, another activity that we always go to. Until you and I are convicted of that throne in the same fashion that Isaiah was. When the Lord says, who am I going to send? I don't say, I don't know, maybe I'll send Michael. Maybe, maybe Nathan will go. Until you and I see the throne, we're going to be distracted. Until you and I see the throne the way that Isaiah saw it, we're not going to grow properly. Because we have an inbred attitude as Americans that what we say and do and understand is exactly right. You as a Christian should be at best, at best, second. If you marry your children, you're on down that line. <laughs> The number one priority in my life should be God. Every day of the week, 365 days a year. And until you and I see that throne room the way Isaiah saw it, we're never going to grow properly. Notice this, Isaiah 6. If you and I don't ever see that throne room properly, if we don't see the, the one who is in on that throne, the one who is filling that temple the way we should, we're never going to obey. Something else, anything else, everything else will be the authority. from one hour of worship with God, how easily would I be distracted from my life? 
easily would I be distracted from living a Christian life outside of these walls surrounded by Scripture? Those five acts of worship don't mean anything until I see the throne in its proper perspective. And if I see the throne in its proper perspective, then those items of worship will be the right way because of who He is. Have you seen the throne? in its proper context. <coughs> if not, then you probably have not obeyed God. But I have great news for you even today. You can. You could have seen that throne tonight for the very first time and understand how impressive God is and how, how, how much majesty and power and glory He has and decide to yourself, I'm going to be obedient. You can here, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, you can be added to the church for which Jesus Christ gave his blood. It might be the fact that you say, well, I've done those things, but I never really understood and was impressed by the throne itself. Allow yourselves to take a few moments and be impressed. Come back to me. To a God that misses you. To a family that's been praying for you and loves you here. If you have any, come right here. Bible stands. Oh, do not let the world depart. Oh!